Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Seems like every time we get together and talk these days, it's COVID-19 related, and we're coming with more COVID information again today. And this really is an extension of our recent COVID airway episode, where if you're especially an MCHD listener, you realize there was a lot of gray in that episode. And most of these airway recommendations are from from thought leaders, from expert opinions, uh, from anecdotal evidence. We don't have a whole lot of hard evidence here. We've been chewing on this in the Department of Clinical Services here really since this started, trying to come up with an algorithm that has clear and concise boxes and arrows and a flow sheet for our paramedics to follow. But this has been exceedingly difficult. Joining me today is our medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, Casey. And this has been this has been a, a difficult process, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it has been. I mean, this has it changes daily. Uh, and it's there is no, as, as Dr. Patrick said, there is no hard science here. This is all kind of expert opinion, and it's really coming out from the epicenter a lot from Scott Weingard and, and the MCRIT, um, Josh Farkas kind of critical care realm of how to manage these patients. And if you remember back to our first COVID airway, uh, we some of the some of the principles are still there, right? Less is more uh, that we had to change our practice here. Uh, but I think that uh, one of the things that we looked at uh, here locally is we're getting a lot of uh, pushback from our hospital systems that don't want dangerous, non-invasive systems, open-type systems brought into their hospital. And really, we could have the argument all day long, speaking of some of these system obstacles, on who's right. You know, is, is non-invasive with a viral filter in line and a good mass seal, is that more or less dangerous than an, another airway management technique? And realistically, no one can prove right or wrong here. And if we're going to get that resistance from our hospital systems, we've got to work together. We're, we're a community. We've got to take care of patients, and we've got to uh, try our best to interact within that system. We can't be uh, bullheaded and, and dogmatic. So we've had to make some adjustments to some of our preferences, and we tried to put that in an algorithm. We're going to link that in the show notes. Obviously, MCHD listeners out there will be getting this as well. Uh, we've talked a lot. Dr. Dixon already mentioned less is more. And again, that same overarching principle still applies. But we came up with an additional concept, AAA, and thrown that into our algorithm. And we're not talking roadside assistance. We're talking about the patients that are going to need aggressive, invasive airway management off the bat. And these are your reminders. Apnea, agitation, or altered mentation. So if a patient has those three, then we know, and we already knew that before, we know if that patient's hypoxic and respiratory distress, respiratory failure, that we need to proceed to invasive airway management with ketamine, with bag valve mask, or non-invasive mask with the viral filter for pre-oxygenation, and then DSI, delayed sequence intubation, as has been our practice here at MCHD for years. The same hard stops are going to apply, and we're going to practice as normal. Now, the medics out there may ask, and we're going to get asked this, do we prefer non-invasive 
with the mask or uh, BVM with two hand masks sealed for pre-oxygenation? Answer that one for us. Uh, yeah, Do you have I an think, answer? I think it depends. I think there is no perfect answer here. I think that it depends on how much the patient is settled already um, and their level of consciousness. Clearly, if you have any, any concern for um, emesis, anything like that, or, um, you know, really, really deep uh, comatose state, I prefer a uh, bag valve mask. Um, the, the, I think the upside of non-invasive cases, we can put a good mass seal on these people if they're, and if we use ketamine, they're still spontaneously ventilating and we can set up and kind of slow down the process and set up our, our kit and our, uh, make sure we're in our PPE and get our, our backups and all of our medications and things set up like we normally would, um, to try to make sure that the procedure goes as smoothly as it can be. Uh, if you go back to the airway aerosol generating, um, uh, COVID airway podcast, you know, what's the, one of the biggest aerosol generators is agitated patients. So as Dr. Patrick said, you know, we use a lot of emphasis. If you have one of those agitation, altered mental status or apnea, uh, don't, especially in the first two, don't be afraid to pre-sedate with a sedation dose of ketamine, not a wee dose of ketamine, but a four per kilo IM or, or two per kilo IV to get control. I would argue that the most aerosol generating procedure or aerosol generating situation you could have in these patients is going to be the thrashing patient that rips the mask off that's pulling the uh, oxygen tubing off that's coughing right. everywhere that one is is a mess so let's get the ketamine on early and you see that early in our algorithm what about superglottic versus endotracheal tube this is one we've kicked back and forth i don't know that there's an answer seems to be that the thought leaders are pushing towards an endotracheal tube. Why? Because you have a full seal with the bulb in the trachea. I would argue that an SGA is e easier to place so that it's less time in the airway, less airway exposure. So maybe that eye gel or king tube has a 70 or 80% laryngeal outlet seal. Is that worth sacrificing less time in the airway? Who knows? We're not going to push 100% to ET tube, 100% to supraglottic. We're going to allow you to have your clinical practice as you did before here at MCHD and place the definitive device that you see fit for the patient. And, and again, following the same concepts we discussed in the prior podcast, filter closest to the patient, any ports that are open, tape, cover those with your thumb. Uh, never leave anything open to the airway because what comes out of there yeah, spittle, spittle, <laughs> aerosolized spittle. Which so, is going to contain COVID. I, I think another thing that's a, a good to point out, so I'm going I'm to kind of go back through the algorithm, and really we're, we're taking out that middle group of patients that we really focused on non-invasive, as did most of our colleagues around the world until two weeks ago. What's um, that patient look like? You know, I'm, yeah, exactly. So we either have a hypoxic patient that could be silent hypoxia with COVID-19. If you, if you go back to the other podcasts and the, and the teaching on this, these people can be profoundly hypoxic, but their physiology is fairly normal and they're fairly comfortable. They can, you know, they can speak to you. They're mentating normally. They don't have those triple A's of agitation, altered mental status or apnea. So those are the patients right down that uh, algorithm. They don't have triple A Casey. We're going to go to nasal cannula oxygen cover with a surgical mask up to six liters. Then if they fail that progression to non rebreather with the ports, the vents occluded and a surgical mask to protect the provider. And then if they fail that and they develop triple A, so agitation, apnea, or altered mental status, they go right back up to the, the, uh, the pre-ox, right? Ketamine for uh, control is needed. 
uh, pre-ox with either BVM with viral filter uh, or uh, non-invasive with viral filter, and then a regular DSI. I guess to kick it back to you, talk about our DSI procedure. We have worked, and and I'll trumpet Dr. Jarvis, and we kind of are indeed this off of him, and we have worked very, very hard on this procedure. How does this make you feel? Are we are we changing our DSI approach here, or are we just changing the top bit of it of how patients get into the algorithm? I think we're changing how patients get into the algorithm. I think we need to be more thoughtful about how aggressive we need to push a hypoxic patient, potentially moderate to severely hypoxic patient, into the DSI algorithm if they're talking to you and not altered, apneic, or agitated. Secondly, there's an if you look at our flow sheet, there's the blue side and the red side. The blue side is the side that we prefer. That's the non-airway aggressive management side. That's the side of let them ride, of less is more. There's the red side, which is the DSI side. And one concept that I've thought a lot about over the past 72 hours is that most of the time in my practice, and the listeners out there I, I think would agree, you would agree, that when I make the decision to manage someone's airway, I start down the DSI road, and generally I do not leave that lane. I stay in that lane, and I exit that lane, and I complete DSI. A concept that I want to introduce and I think is going to be valuable in these patients, especially in transport, is once we get to the ketamine stage and we calm the patient and that agitation is relieved, and we decide to BVM or non-invasive pre-oxygenate those patients, if they look well and they're calm and you see the SATs come up and you see the hemodynamics stabilize, if you'll notice on the flow sheet, there is a dotted line from the DSI red side to the non-invasive, or excuse me, the non-rebreather transport blue side, we can stop the DSI process and not intubate that patient if they're holding their own, after we calm them, pre-oxygenate them some, maybe recruit a little bit, and allow, again, that definitive airway management to occur at the hospital. This, this is actually a fairly big departure from our normal practice, from my normal practice. But again, why are we doing this? Number one, we want to minimize exposure. Number two, we want to intubate these pa patients only if we absolutely have to, especially patients like asthmatics. I will use an asthmatic as an example. You get a tripoding asthmatic, you can't use a NEB, you hit them with early epi, they're still looking bad, they're agitated, you give them ketamine, you strap a non-invasive mask on them with, with a filter, their SATs come up, they calm, their heart rate drops. Maybe we don't need to intubate that patient, right? Maybe we would never have intubated them before because we may have had non-invasive that we could have rolled into the hospital, but maybe that be, might be enough to calm them and not intubate them. And from a physiologic standpoint, we know that when do you intubate asthmatics as little as possible? So maybe that's one that moves from the DSI side to the ride to the hospital yeah, with a non-rebreather side. Would, I would agree, Casey. I think that's going to be our most, uh, probably the most common one that would swap sides, as you said. Can we circle back around? Can you just talk about our hard stops in DSI? The questions I get from the crews, our crews, are, Dr. Patrick, what do I do? I mean, what if I can't get to the hard stops? Talk about the hard stops in our process, and what do they do if they can't meet those hard stops for paralysis? And we know that these patients are profoundly hypoxic, and I've gotten asked the question multiple times, are we going to be able to get these folks above 94? So our hard stops 
to push paralytics within MCHD is a oxygen saturation greater than 94% for three minutes and a systolic blood pressure greater than 90. So we have a patient satting in the 50s with bilateral COVID pneumonia. Can we get that above 94? And I'll be honest, I've taken care of some COVID patients. I've not taken care of a critically ill COVID patient yet. I'm sure it's coming. I don't know what the pre-oxygenation looks like in these patients. If we get to 84, how do we deal with that? Just like we would have six months ago. We don't push paralytic and we manage the airway from there. And I would say in that situation, I would not want to stick a laryngoscope in a non-paralyzed patient because what are they going to do? They're going to cough. They're going to spit. So I would move to SGA in that patient. I would not, would not, would not take a look with a video scope in that situation. No, so, I, I'm with you. I think at that point I would uh, deeply sedate and see if I could get by with an SGA and call today. I would agree. Um, I think that those can be really, really problematic. One more thing I wanted to touch base with you on. You went through the DSI procedure, Casey. Can we talk about some of these, you know, let's talk about how, how do we set up the ambulances? Can we set it up for airflow and negative? How do we do it as safely as we can in the ambulance and talk a little bit about the stuff you've seen online and through our hospital partners and everything about these clear drapes and these intubating boxes and all this. Just touch briefly on your thoughts on those um, devices, these things out there that are supposed to protect us a little bit more. One concept I've seen batted around and I, I agree with today We'll see where I fall tomorrow. But if we can intubate these people in the homes, I think it's safer for our crews rather than in the ambulance in some sense because there'll be less contamination in the back of the ambulance. That's a concept I've seen uh, pushed around. Now, again, if your supplies and your uh, patient deterioration and the situation dictates that you need to intubate them in the ambulance, you want to have as much negative airflow as possible. So you want to open all your vents to the outside, roll the windows down if possible, expose as few folks as possible. Again, filter closest to the patient. I've seen lots of drapes. I've seen lots of boxes. These concepts are wonderful concepts. I worry about constricting my hands and constricting my view when I'm performing a procedure that needs precision and needs view more than anything else. So at this point, we've not elected to roll any of these concepts out at MCHD. If those are comfortable for you, go with it. Me personally, I feel like I want to see as clearly as possible and I don't want my hands restricted. I want to be able to use by manual manipulation. I want to be able to, to grab the corner of the lip. I want to be able to do the things that I normally do without thinking. I don't want to prolong that procedure and increase, you know, viral transmission into the air. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, uh, some of our colleagues out of IU have seen a, a big, uh, incidents of peri-intubation arrest with these patients when they get really, really sick. I think this is not an easy airway. This should be the best provider, um, the best circumstances, you could, best positioning, and all the, all the things, you know, ear to sternal notch and head the bed up 15 and everything that you can do to optimize a very quick entry into the airway and a very quick placement because these people have very little physiologic reserve. I'm, I'm, I'm with Dr. Patrick on this one. I'm not a big fan of adding extra stuff on top of it that may, I don't know that it's giving us that big of a, of a margin of safety rather than just proper sedation to make sure the patient is properly sedated, properly paralyzed and not going to be thrashing about um, and just careful methodical PPE and entry into the airway. 
Yeah, a couple a couple things, and we'll wrap it up. You know, some folks have discussed fentanyl pretreatment, lidocaine pre treatment for uh, prevention of coughing. That's a reasonable consideration. Also, if you want to drape the patient after they're intubated, I, totally reasonable uh, from from my point of view to prevent as much aerosolization as possible. And again, make sure that when you're changing connections from a bag to a vent, from a non-invasive to a vent, make sure that you're covering the port or clamping uh, the tube, either either one, so that again, virus is not escaping. So picture's worth a thousand words. We're going to post our algorithm so you can take a look. We want to push patients to the blue side. We want to practice less is more. That was rule number one on COVID airway podcast number one. We reserve the right to back up and make a, a 90 degree turn if we need to in the coming days and weeks. I hate to be indecisive. I hate to counter, uh, you know, contradict myself. We're all learning. We're all collaborating. We're doing the best we can with limited information. So as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Dixon. Thanks, Casey. Leave us a like, leave us a thumbs up or a view wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for joining us. If you have questions or concerns, shoot us an email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. We'll be back to talk to you again soon. Stay safe out there. Wear your PPE, wash your hands. Stay safe, guys. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.